Welcome to the sermon podcast of Gamble Street Baptist Church, Fort Worth, Texas. Gamble Street Baptist Church has been sharing the gospel for over 100 years. This podcast includes sermons from our traditional Sunday morning service and our contemporary services on Sunday evenings. We hope God speaks to you through this sermon. Um, tonight we're going to be uh, in Genesis 45, um, speaking and uh, talking about the, the story of Joseph. Um, so if you will turn there, um, we're going to read the first 15 verses. Um, and here we go. Um, then Joseph could not control himself before all those who stood by him. He cried, make everyone go out from me. So no one stayed with him when uh, Joseph made himself known to his brothers. And he wept aloud so that the Egyptians heard it, and the household of Pharaoh heard it. And Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still alive? But his brothers could not answer him, for they were dismayed at his presence. So Joseph said to his brothers, Come near to me, please. And they came near, and he said, I am your brother Joseph, whom you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold me here for God sent me before you to preserve life for the famine has been in the land for these two years and there are yet five years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvest and God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to keep alive for you many survivors so it was not you who sent me here but God he has made me a father to Pharaoh and Lord of all his house, and ruler over all the land of Egypt. Hurry, and go up to my father and say to him, Thus says your son Joseph, God has made me Lord of all Egypt. Come down to me, do not tarry. You shall dwell in the land of Goshen, and you shall be near me, you and your children, and your children's children, and your flocks, your herds, and all that you have. There I will provide for you, for there are yet five years of famine to come, so that you and your eyes see, and the eyes of my brother Benjamin see, that it is my mouth that speaks to you. You must tell my father all of my honor in Egypt and of all that you have seen. Hurry and bring my father down here. Then he fell upon his brother Benjamin's neck and wept, and Benjamin wept upon his neck. And he kissed all his brothers and wept upon them after that his brothers talked with him. Um, And some translations would say more boldly. As you remember, they were dismayed at the beginning. Um, If you don't mind, we'll pray as we um, begin this. Heavenly Father, thank you for this opportunity to gather together. And Lord, we pray that your words would be spoken tonight, that um, your voice would be heard, and that people would come to know you and love you better uh, through that. And we pray that um, as you speak, that uh, hearts would be Um, molded into your image, into that of Christ, that uh, we would come to love you more and to serve you more and be more faithful in all that we say and do. It's in Jesus' name we pray, by way of the Spirit. Amen. Um, So we're in the story of Joseph, and if you remember anything about the story of Joseph, you might remember that people are pretty awful. There's a lot of bad stuff that happens (laughs) to Joseph. Um, And as we're going through the scarlet thread throughout... um, 
um, about throughout the scripture and just following this narrative uh, about God, you'll see many a times that people do awful things. But it's good to remember that God is good all the time. And all the time, God is good. So most of us remember the story of Joseph and probably heard it hundreds of times or maybe even seen a play or a movie about it. Uh, but tonight I want to take a look at a specific aspect about Joseph's story that we don't necessarily spend much time on, and that is the time that takes place during this story. In fact, in a sense, that's the whole essence of the scarlet thread narrative that we're talking about is God's perfect timing and how he uses people that follow him for his glory. So far, we've seen how God created the world and ordered this universe and well, created the universe as well. And then we saw mankind's introduction into this world and the disorder and chaos that man brought with it. And then we saw a series of judgments upon man um, because they're awful. And uh, it brings us to where God has chosen a specific people to be his representatives of who God is and the good who God is in this world of pretty awful people. A few weeks ago, we were introduced to the patriarch, or the prime patriarch, as I'll call him, Abraham, the very first of the, the fathers of the nation of Israel. And God promised to bless Abraham and through his offspring, Isaac, uh, to bless the nations. Abraham put his faith in God, and he learned to trust in God more and more, and so God continued to bless Abraham and his family. Now, we didn't focus too much on Isaac, because his story is a bit of reiteration of Abraham's. A uh, man gets this call and blessing from the Lord. He tries to pass off his wife as a sister, and then he waits a long time to have some kids. But <laughs> uh, what happens is it continues the narrative of God blessing his people to bless the nations around him. And from Isaac, we get Jacob. And Joel talked about Jacob last week, uh, the heel. Um, he is the crafty one, the deceiver. And he uh, uses craftiness to take the... Um, the, and, sorry, I just lost my thought. Take, take the, um, the birthright of Esau uh, with a bowl of soup, and then he used some deceptiveness along with his mother um, to deceive Isaac into giving him Esau's blessing. And so um, God actually changed how most of the world saw things with the firstborn being the prominent and all these things by having Jacob actually, or yeah, having Jacob actually be the one who receives all these blessings. And um, it wasn't because of his craftiness or deceptiveness, but it's rather because God was going to change Jacob. God reissued the promise to Abraham's family by way of kind of rebranding Jacob, uh, not just in name to Israel, but by growing him through his struggles. I heard a fascinating quote recently, uh, I believe has some merit to it. Um, and the quote is that hard times make strong men. Strong men make good times. Good times make weak men, and weak men make hard times. As we journey through the scarlet thread, you'll see that played out a few times in different areas along that quote, but so far we've seen a lot of hard times molding this family that God has chosen into stronger men, into people who are more likely to follow him and serve them wholeheartedly. So Joseph, he is the youngest, oldest sibling of Jacob's dozen of boys, <laughs> um, how do you be the oldest, youngest, or youngest, oldest? Well, um, Jacob had two wives, Leah and Rachel, and he loved Rachel more. She was his favorite, and both of them had a servant, and from all of them, Jacob had these 12 sons. The first four he had by his wife, Leah, 
Um, so Reuben was the firstborn. He's the oldest of all these uh, kids. Uh, Simeon is next, then Levi, and then Judah, which we'll learn more about later. He's a fun one. Uh, and then uh, jealousy and contention comes among the sisters, and then Rachel um, uses her servant to have some kids on her behalf, um, and so that's where we get Dan and Naphtali. Then Leah got more jealous and started coming back and wanted to have more kids, and so she used her servant to have Gad and Asher. And then Leah was still upset about Rachel being the favorite, and so she started doing bargains with her, and then she was able to have two more kids, so this is six for Jacob on Leah's behalf, or from Leah, uh, and that's Issachar and Zebulon. And then after all this, after these first ten, Rachel had prayed and was desperate to have kids, and she was finally able to give birth, and she gives birth to Joseph and Benjamin. Um, she dies, actually, in the childbirth of Benjamin, so then she kind of um, is no longer part of the picture. But this brings apart uh, not only that she was Jacob's favorite, but her children were Jacob's favorite. And Joseph, being the firstborn of those, uh, even though he was 11th in line, he was treated like a firstborn. He was given more favoritism. He was shown um, more love, in a sense. Um, and as you see the story of God's family unfolding, those first couple of sons actually did some things to mess up their, their image to their dad. Uh, Reuben made mistakes. Simeon and Levi murdered a lot of people. Um, they weren't really showing well uh, for who they were. And so the first thing I want to kind of place a timestamp on, like you might see in a video, a bookmark to j jump to a certain point, uh, just kind of consider how Reuben was probably close to 10 years older than Joseph. Um, it's funny, Heather's brother is about 10 years older, and it really puts a different dynamic in the relationship as for how uh, parents will treat their children. Um, it's not that Heather's parents love one more than another, but <laughs> um, there's, there's very much a different um, relation there. And if you think about it, there's a lot that can happen in 10 years. Um, 10 years ago, I wasn't even in Texas. I was back in Louisville. Uh, so I've come here, I've graduated, had a family. There's a lot that happens in 10 years. And um, that's a pretty decent amount of time that you can kind of put between Joseph and uh, Reuben, the firstborn. And so as we dive into Jacob, uh, Joseph's story a little bit more, um, not only do we see Jacob showing the favoritism, but he probably shows it to all the other kids. Uh, it's kind of a funny thing because you know parents aren't supposed to have favorites, even though I know I'm my parents. No, okay. <laughs> you got to have the youngest. Uh, no. Um, I wasn't going to make that joke, but it's too hard to pass up. Okay. Um, but he gives Joseph, Jacob gives Joseph uh, this technicolor dream coat, this rainbow, this coat of many colors. Um, and it's partially because he's rewarding Joseph for ratting out his older brothers when they disobey him or do something that he doesn't like. Um, some people um, say that Joseph might be a little bit arrogant. However, I feel like he just was always the special child and so didn't feel like anything could go wrong with him. And so he just acted the way he wanted to because he was daddy's special boy. Um, not only did he get this coat of many colors and um, have a close relationship with his dad, but God even gave him kind of some superpowers in that he had prophetic dreams. Um, and these dreams, if you remember, are about his family bowing down to him. The first dream about um, his brothers bowing down to him. Then his second dream, even his, his parents bowing down to him along with his brothers. And so 
you might see him as arrogant and that he goes and tells his brother and father about these dreams. But um, I think he's just saying, hey, I had this great dream. Let me tell my big brother about it. Although they didn't like it very much. Um, so they developed a plot to get rid of Joseph. And so let's put another time marker here and consider that this is now when Joseph is 17 years old. What were you doing at age 17? Were all your family scheming against you? <laughs> There's, he's had a bit of a life so far. Um, 18 is manhood in our current culture, and so he was just about there. He's lived and done a number of things. He's had these dreams. Um, but if we consider what's going on in our lives at 17, it might not be as dramatic as Joseph's, but there's a decent amount of things that can happen in that time. Now, Joseph's brothers were angry at him, and so they wanted to kill him. However, Reuben, that firstborn, uh, who kind of messed up uh, in front of his dad, or before his dad, um, he tries to get back in favor by saying, hey, let's just throw him in a cistern, let's not kill him yet, kind of assuming that he can come back later and free him and say, hey, look, Dad, I've saved your favorite son from being killed by his brothers. Um, but it kind of backfires because while he's out, um, there's a group of traveling merchants that come by, and Judah, that fourthborn, he's like, let's not kill him. That's probably not the best idea. How about we sell him? And that way we can get rid of him. So like I said, Judah's character's arc is going to be interesting, but I'm going to let Kevin speak more to that in a couple of weeks. Um, so for now, it's just good to remember he, he doesn't want Joseph dead, <laughs> um, even though he wants to get rid of him. So the merchants take Joseph to Egypt, where he becomes a slave to Potiphar, who is the captain of a guard to Pharaoh, which I would say is a pretty important job. Um, God continues to fulfill his purpose um, in the family of Abraham through Isaac, through Jacob, and through his son Joseph by blessing Joseph while he was in this hard time. Uh, Joseph worked and did what he needed to, and Potiphar takes notice of him and promoted him to second under him. And he probably gained some skills while he was in second command, some uh, abilities to uh, command people, to lead people, to direct resources, things like that. Um, that might not have happened otherwise if he was still back home. And so Joseph becomes highly successful. And not only did Potiphar notice it, but Potiphar's wife noticed it, as we remember. And so she ends up ruining the, thing, the good thing Joseph had going by lying and saying that, uh, he tried to come after me, and so he gets thrown in jail. So good times for Joseph. Not only has he been sold into slavery, now he's put into jail. Uh, but it, it's kind of an important jail because he worked for an important person. And so this important jail also has other important people end up going to it when they get in trouble. And so this gives another opportunity for God to utilize the, the gift he's given Joseph in interpreting dreams. And so two of um, Pharaoh's more important servants, a cupbearer who tastes the drinks before Pharaoh gets it to make sure they're not poisoned, and the baker who eats the food before Pharaoh gets it so to make sure it's not poisoned, kind of have an important role there. Um, they both get sent to jail for whatever reason, and then they have similar dreams. The cupbearer has the dream of three branches with grapes growing on them, and he plucks them and makes wine, and Pharaoh is pleased with it. And then the uh, baker has a similar dream in that he sees three baskets and they're stacked on his head. However, there's a crow pecking at him, so he should probably take a hint that it might not be as good as the other guy's dream. And so as Joseph 
interprets these dreams for him. Uh, he says that the cupbearer will be restored in three days and the baker will be dead in three days because, um, as God reveals this, uh, Pharaoh's birthday is in three days. They go back, they do their jobs or whatever the case may be, and whatever, what Joseph prophesies about these dreams comes true. And you would hope that would be enough for the cupbearer to remember the one request Joseph made after telling the dream was, hey, tell Pharaoh so I can get out of jail because I don't want to be here anymore. I want to go see my family. But instead, the cupbearer forgets. And it takes two years for him to remind Pharaoh about Joseph. And so here's another time to consider. Two years in jail, just waiting in jail for somebody to remember you, to, to set you up for something. Um, that's Dorothy's lifetime. <laughs> She's only two years old right now. And I can hardly remember a time before Dorothy was born. So having to wait in jail for somebody to, to promote and help and aid us for that length of time just seems almost unbearable. And so the cupbearer finally remembers Joseph when Pharaoh has a dream that no one can interpret. And if you remember these dreams, it's about, he has two dreams very similar. The first one is seven fat cows, seven skinny cows. And the skinny cows eat the fat cows. And then another dream similar to that, there is hardy stock or hardy uh, grains and then withering grains. And the withering grains devour the healthy grains. And since no one can interpret it, all of a sudden light pops on for the cupbearer. Hey, I know a guy. He's in jail. We should probably get him out. Um, and so Joseph's able to go before Pharaoh, and at this point, it is now about 13 years since Joseph has been sold into slavery and taken from his home. And I would suspect at least half of those probably weren't all that fun, being in slavery, being in jail, and things like that. Uh, but Joseph is able to interpret the dreams for Pharaoh and tells him that there is going to be seven years of, of abundance, that there will be much uh, in, in the way of, of growth um, and, and food and harvest. And so after that, the seven years or the seven that follow are seven years of famine, and there will be nothing. There will be no plowing, there will be no harvesting. And so whether it was a God-inspired plan or it's some of the delegation skills that Joseph learned as, Potiphar, as Potiphar's assistant, uh, he says, how about we store up food during the abundance so that way we have food during the time of famine? Pharaoh likes the plan so much that he promotes Joseph to second in command of all of Egypt, sort of as we've heard so far. And from a slave to vice president in 13 years. Told you a lot could happen in 13 years. So <laughs> more than that, there are seven years of abundance happen before um, we get to see um, it's more of the storyline in a sense. Um, but in this time, Joseph is able to store up the food and continue providing God's blessing to the nations. He is not only being blessed by God, but he is beginning to bless other nations. And so after 20 years of being sold as a slave and uh, becoming Pharaoh's right-hand man and dealing with the times of abundance, um, two years more happen. And this two years is into the time of the famine, and then uh, we see the family of God coming back into this picture. And Jacob and the rest of Joseph's family are starting to suffer the consequences of this famine. But they hear there's grain in Egypt. What an amazing coincidence. So 
Jacob sends his sons, except for Joseph's little brother, again, the now favorite because he believes Joseph to be dead, for grain. But Joseph gets the opportunity for revenge, except if you remember the passages that we've read, he doesn't take advantage of it. He has come to a different perspective on things. Um, Joseph's first little trial, or I like to call them pranks on his brother, was to get them to bring Benjamin. Um, the brothers are like, he, he treats his brothers as spies, and they say, no, we're not. We have a dad and a younger brother. They just couldn't come. We were doing this. And he's like, well, bring your younger brother, and then you guys, I, I know you won't be spies. And so he sets them up, and they know that because of what they did to Joseph, if Benjamin were to disappear and not be um, around Jacob, that he might not live because his, his heart would be so broken. And so they don't want to do that to him again. And so they, we can't do this. And so Joseph puts him in prison for a few days, but then decides, I'll just keep Simeon. We'll keep him. The rest of you go home, bring back your brother, but you can't have any more food until you do that. And so it's funny that Jacob isn't actually concerned so much about Simeon as he is Benjamin. So Simeon actually sits in jail until they run out of food again. So at this point, they must go get more food. But Jacob is completely unwilling to give Benjamin up until Judah comes and offers himself sort of as a sacrifice for Benjamin. Jacob finally relents so that Joseph gets to see his little brother more than that, know that he's alive and that he wasn't sold into slavery like himself. Um, and so when they come back, he releases Simeon and he has a small little reunion feast with his brothers. They don't necessarily know what's going on, but he's just happy to have them there. And now that he knows his father is alive and as, as well and his brothers are alive, and um, there's actually a little portion in there in Joseph's story about how he kind of heard what they were talking about, even though they didn't know that they had some regret about what they did to him. And so Joseph's kind of final prank um, on his brothers sends them home, has, uh, sneaks a silver cup into Benjamin's thing and says, well, now he's got to die because he stole something from me. And they're like, no, no, no. And so this leads Judah to have to fulfill his promise to take Benjamin's spot if anything should have happened to him. And let's look back at a specific part in the passage. I'm going to read 5 through 8 again. It says, And now do not be distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life. For the famine has been in the land these two years, and there are yet five years in which there will be no plowing or harvest. And God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to keep alive for you many survivors. So it was not you who sent me here, but God. He has made me a father to Pharaoh and lord of all his house, and ruler over all the land of Egypt. So much has happened to Joseph at this point, and it's been 22 years since he's been sold into slavery. It says at the beginning he was 17 and 22, so he is 39 years old. So much has happened in his life to this point. He is just about over the hill, but <laughs> he's had so much happen in his 39 years of life and I look at my 34 years of life and think how much I've been through. There's been numerous times where I have had to make decisions, I've made choices, I've gone places, I've done things, and all of them led to different results. All of them have led to different things. Um, 
And looking back on it, I can somewhat see how God has been working in it. And I'm not perfect. I can't see all of it. But I can see God working through it. And I'm still five years away from what Joseph had to experience. In the past five years, I've gotten married, have two children, and bought a house. So there's still a whole lot can happen in five years. So how many variables have taken place in this time? How many things could have gone one way but went another way? How many things required the specific amount of time to happen for it to work out in God's plan? How about the 22 years Joseph was away from his family? What if Potiphar's wife didn't take notice of him? What if he was still a slave? What if he was still trapped? What if he didn't work as hard as he should have? What if he didn't give his all to what he was doing? But you can see that Joseph has a different perspective on this whole narrative. He's able to point out to his brothers God's grand narrative behind all of this. He is able to see through God's lens of what this plan of redemption is. And God used his life to save many. God took the hard times of Joseph's life to make him strong in faithfulness and obedience to God. He even had much cost to go about all this. He didn't see his family for 22 years. He lost his mother, his, mother his, his family, everybody close to him. So consider yourselves, your own lives, no matter how old you are, even if you're not 22. What has God done in 22 years of your life? Have you had 22 years of trouble Maybe as Joseph did, or even if it was half as much. Have you had 10 years of troubles in your life that you feel have taken you from where you should be? Are you even in the middle of one of those periods right now? Consider what could God be working in your life right now to provide good for others? How can your life be used despite Maybe if it's like Joseph, imprisonment, being falsely accused, being sold. Whatever your difficulties could be, consider what God can be using your life for right now. Despite all the variables that can take course over 10 years, 5 years, 2 years, even 2 weeks. <laughs> There's been a lot that's happened in the past 2 weeks even. Um, that God's timing is what is taking place. And he's working in our lives, and he was working in the life of Joseph that whole time. I would say that this is probably the, the most amazing rescue ever, <laughs> and that Joseph was not only able to save his family, but many others. He was a blessing for his family and for others, for other nations. And it, consider that it all began when he was sold into slavery being falsely accused, being punished, waiting for others to remember him. So as we look ahead, not only, uh, as we look ahead in the scripture, not only um, to his family being rescued, but he even pardons his brothers for what they did to him. He doesn't seek revenge. He, notices, he, he notes that it was God that placed him there, and so there's no need to, to repay his brothers because it was a blessing. If you turn to chapter 50, uh, verses 15 through 21, we see this famous verse. Um, 
Now, many people know, uh, but let's consider it for a second. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, it may be that Joseph will hate us and pay us back for all the evil that we did to him. So they sent a message to Joseph saying, your father gave me a command before he died, but not really. Say to Joseph, please forgive the transgression of your brothers and their sin because they did evil to you. And now please forgive the transgression of your servants, of the God of your father. Joseph wept when they spoke to him. His brothers also came and fell down before him and said, Behold, we are your servants. But Joseph said to them, Do not fear, for am I in the place of God? As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good, to bring about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. So do not fear. I will provide for you and your little ones. Thus he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. They were looking for a way to save their own skins. They wanted to not get in trouble because now the little brother that they picked on is now the most powerful man around them. And they just didn't realize what Joseph did, that Joseph was looking through God's lens of what was going on. And what they did to him actually saved numerous lives. God's plans will always triumph over evil. And we see this in this grand scheme, this scarlet thread narrative. Despite what awful people do in this world to mess up the world that God created, God is still able to use them and work through them for our good because God is good all the time. And all the time, God is good. As we follow the scarlet thread throughout Scripture, you'll see God use another 33 years of a person's life to be a pardon for others, a means of rescue from certain death. And we've seen that mankind have brought upon ourselves time and time again awful, awful things. And this is just in the first book of the Bible. We're just getting started. And God is working through it. He's working to rescue what was lost, the relationship that he made man to be in with him since the beginning. He made a way of pardon through Jesus and is still making good out of evil in our years here on earth. Those 33 years were not without a cost. God humbled himself in becoming Jesus, a man like us, to save us. He was persecuted. He died a gruesome death. But worse of all that, he took on his own God's wrath for us. God used those 33 years of time and hardship for our good. And that is the most amazing rescue and pardon that we could ever experience. So what is God doing with your life? What is he working in your lifetime? In what ways is God using your years here on earth? Are you seeking to be a part of God's grand scheme? God's grand plan? Are you looking to be redemptive? We can consider the hope that we have in God, even in hard times, in times of trouble, because God can be and most likely is working those situations out for good, possibly to save numerous lives, or even yourself. 
So count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect, complete, and lacking in nothing. Let's pray. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Gamble Street Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. If you have questions, we would love to speak with you. Please call 817-926-1785 to speak with a minister. If you live in or will be traveling to the Fort Worth area, we would love to have you visit. Gambrel Street Baptist Church has six church goals to reach the lost for Christ, to learn more about Christ, to touch the city through Christ, to train leaders to serve Christ, to embrace the world with Christ, and to build strong families in Christ. Please join us for our next episode.